Before we dive into the episode with Meg and DeVore, I've just got some housekeeping notes. As always, I want to thank the patrons who make this show what it is. Your support and generosity every month blows me away, keeps me going, and really helps me to create the best product that I can for you all, and for all of the listeners as well. So thank you so much, and if anyone wants to join the patron family, you can do so for as little as $3 a month at patreon.com slash outerrimreads. And if you're not able to support the show financially, that is totally okay. A fantastic way, and probably one of the best ways, too, to help the podcast grow is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I think Spotify has a feature now where you can leave a review or at least a rating. So if you're able to and you haven't already, please consider go leaving a rating and review wherever you are able to. Thank you so much. And without further ado, let's get into episode 55 of Outer Rim Reads, nearing the end of Light of the Jedi. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 55 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In today's episode, we will discuss chapters 39 through 41 of Light of the Jedi, and I'm joined by Meg with followers of the Force and Devor, host of A Larger View of the Force. Meg, Devor, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for uh, having both of us back. Yeah, it's really <laughs> good to be back again. You know, I, I was in a way surprised that uh, both of you were willing to come on for this episode after just how traumatic of a story this becomes. And you're willing to come back on, talk some more about really happy endings. Nothing goes wrong uh, at all. Uh, so I, I definitely was surprised that you're willing to have another bite at the Light of the Jedi story because, uh, yeah, it's uh, it gets wild to say the least. Yeah, I mean, you know, after after seeing how hopeful you were the last time I was here, just wanted to make sure I could come back and just make sure you're all right, make sure that you're, you're drinking water, that you're eating regularly, that everything is fine, you know? I do have my, my water bottle here. I may or may not have an extra oxygen supply uh, built into my seat in case I need to breathe uh, because uh, oxygen is on short supply with just how wild this, uh, this story gets. And th there will be a specific moment in chapter 41 where I will have to admit my sincere and uh, heartfelt... Uh, I'll have to give a sincere and heartfelt apology for it. I, I know I made. In the, in the <laughs> I know exactly what you're what part you're talking about. Oh no! <laughs> I think we all do, but but we'll get there because uh, there is still a lot. I mean, there's a lot to get through even before chapter forty-one. You both have been on the show before this season, so. Uh, we can dispense with the pleasantries of your Star Wars beginnings and also your Light of the Jedi beginnings, and we can get right into the chapters today, 39 through 41. I'll give my summary for 39, and then we can talk about how the situation is unfolding yet again, yet even more above Elfrona. Sounds good. Yep. In low orbit above Elfrona, 
Loden and Indira find themselves surrounded by Lorna D's newly arrived Tempest. After a moment, the fleet opens fire on Loden, who is forced into evasive action. The Jedi Master uses the Force to guide his movements, and he and Indira decide to save the Blythe father and son, respectively. Loden buys Indira time to escape with the Blythe son, bringing down many Nihil ships and forcing them into a brief retreat. He is able to propel himself into the Nihil ship to reach Otto Blythe, although he badly injures himself in the process, and Lorna's fleet destroys his vector. Inside the ship, Loden finds Otto amidst the dead crew who Indira had slain. Before they can devise an escape, a torpedo breaches the hull, releasing a gas that incapacitates Loden and Otto. Lorna D and some storms board the ship and take the two captive. I guess I guess this is also a mistake. Maybe I have already made a mistake in uh, you know one of my predictions throughout the season throughout the book is that Loden uh, will meet his end. He will g- get killed off uh, at at some point. We might not have reached that yet, but he does get captured at the end, which I I'm afraid that it might be worse than death. That that might be a fate worse than death for him, but you know, we do see how his story continues to progress in some troubling ways uh, as the chapter finishes. But what did you both think about chapter 39 and really Indira and Loden going against all odds here to save the remaining Blythes and, you know, uh, one of them succeeds and the other doesn't have that kind of luck? What did you both, uh, what'd you both think about chapter 39? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed just... I mean, a lot of it goes back to, to Soul's own writing, but just the way that he's talking about, like, like the interactions between Indira and Loden as they're trying to figure out their plans and just Loden coming up with this absolutely wild scheme to get into the Nile ship. Like, I absolutely love just that, that kind of banter and back and forth. I thought was really, really great. You know, I think I've said this before, having been here to talk about this book before, but like, there's just something to me about the way that the Jedi are written in this book. And I guess in all of the High Republic so far, it's, you know, they're, they're willing to do anything to save whoever they can, but it, it's not quite as reckless as we might have seen it, you know, in later, later in the Star Wars timeline. And it just amazes me how it, like Loden especially is just so committed to whatever his mission is, but the mission is always, you know, put the people that we're trying to save first. And it just, I love Loden so much and I, you know, I have to be careful when I'm here about what I say because I can't say a lot, but you know what? This chapter specifically, you know, he, he's all right. He's doing fine until the end there, but you know. <laughs> until the end where maybe things don't go as fine for him, but you are right. And and even in an earlier chapter, he was even ready and willing to save the Nihil who were aboard the ship that he ends up, you know, propelling himself into. You know, he was, you know, going to prioritize the Blythes first, but he was also willing to to save the Nihil as well, to not to avoid killing them at least. So it really, you know, my respect for Loden increases even more in this chapter. My awe for him as well with, uh, you know, Devor hinting at uh, his trick to get aboard the Nihil ship. But we do start off with you know the the Nihil ships they start opening fire at Loden and you know he kind of does the classic surrendering himself to the force and you know instead of overthinking how to escape and dodge their shots he lets the force guide him 
And Indira asks him, you know, what's going on out there? Because she's still in the ship saving the, the Blythe son or trying to get him out of there. And he tells her that, yeah, there's a Nihil fleet that just uh, dropped out of hyperspace here in low orbit. So very, it, it should be impossible, which Indira says, you know, here, that's that's not possible. And Loden says, please let them know that, which is just, <laughs> it's gold. Because like, even with like hundreds of ships just opening fire at him all at once, he can still find room and time to crack a joke. It's just, uh, he's such an endearing character. I, I love him so much. He reminds me a lot of Obi-Wan in that way, like regardless of how dire the situation might be there's always room to crack a joke you know yeah it's just yeah to, to that point like i just love his, his his whole vibe through that like there's one part where i can't remember exactly if this is a bit of dialogue of him talking or whether it's soul kind of like transplanting a state of mind but there's one point where he goes like everything will be all right or not <laughs> <laughs> which is like it's 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 a great like it's great vibes for the pandemic like Loden would be great now to be around like everything's gonna be fine or or it's not gonna be fine who knows like we'll see we'll see where the force takes us right you know it's like i think he was like he, he did kind of completely surrender himself to the force and then you know like you said thinking like all right he's got this under control and then i think a a blaster shot like hit the nose of his ship or kind of deflected off the shield and he was like all right maybe maybe not like time to reevaluate um yes so, it's just i don't know his his chill and his his coolness under pressure and still able to kind of keep a light heart and mind about it it just it makes him and i think he is my favorite jedi in this book that i've read uh with bell close behind i think that the two of them have been really impressive but before uh you know he does kind of devise a plan to buy indira some time but before he goes through with this distraction he thinks back to how he had overheard Bell tell Ember that uh, Bell had named their vector the Nova, and how Loden had never told Bell he thought it was a really beautiful choice, a really beautiful name, but that he would when he sees him again. And I'm just like, I, I literally wrote, stop it, Charles. Like, all this, like, oh yeah, I'll see you when I get back to Coruscant. I'll, I'll be there when you become a Jedi Knight. I'm just like, this, it, it, there's just so much of like, oh yeah, I'll see him again. And I'm just sitting there just like... Are you really going to do this to us, Charles? <laughs> I'm not convinced at all. <laughs> I, I will say that, like, throughout the High Republic, these authors have just consistently found ways to hurt us slowly, gradually, just, you know, one sentence at a time. Just like, they're doing it on purpose. It's fine. Everything is fine, right? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> but Loden does this, you know, he, he's pulled off some really brilliant maneuvers in the book so far and... This is another example here where he is controlling the ship, you know, with his hands while using the force to guide him with the weaponry. And quote, the Nova was a blossom of flame and laser fire, spiraling through the battle, every shot finding a target, every motion either an evasion or a retargeting. And I just, I love that imagery. I can really see that playing out on the page there just these beautiful spins and maneuvers and and Loden really finding his groove through the force and it seems that he's got all these tricks in the bag he's got all these tricks that he can pull out of his sleeves but you know I I do have to wonder and we do see his luck run out at the end and I do have to wonder if it'll be enough but I thought it was really impressive that it causes the whole armada to briefly retreat just that speaks to how good his distraction is, how much damage he's also doing. This is one vector against an armada, and I just had to sit back in awe there of this show that Loden Greatstorm is putting on for us. 
Yeah, like he's got, you know, I think he's sort of going back to what Meg said with the comparison to Obi-Wan. It's like it's he's always got that that flair to him. He's effective, like he knows the mission, like he knows what he has to do, but like he can always bring in a little bit of style with it. He's got some pizzazz with it. He's 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 hitting us with the old razzle dazzle, I think. <laughs> I, I think it, it really speaks to like the Jedi in this book and especially like in these scenes toward the end are so they're just written so um, colorfully in terms of like everything they do is big. Everything they do is like amazing. And it's, it's important for this story in particular, just because it is the start of the high Republic and it's start the start of something. Uh, technically we've never seen anything like this before. And so like, Sol really had to make these Jedi, like the example of like, these are what the Jedi are at this time that you've never seen before. And it's all big and it's, you'd notice everything and it just makes you like care. The, the fact that there are all these characters in this book and you care about every single one of them, that's like, that's not easy to do when you're telling a story. And it's like, this is like a really good example of that. Like we've seen him do amazing things up to this point and then he, he goes and does this and it's like, dude, are you done? <laughs> uh, apparently not. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I've really been impressed with him and just how he's always able to find a way. You know, even if that is like he and, and Belle uh, following after him, you know, back on the surface of Elfrona, standing their ground against an incoming Nihil fighter, you know. Really, the you know, you had mentioned the lengths to which he goes to save others and also the way in which he goes about that is really inspiring. That's, you know, I just, uh, I think his character is very very inspiring and you know his his maneuvers his uh maybe obi-wan like flair and in and cool in the midst of battle is able to buy indira time to escape uh but the nihil they don't give her chase they let her go so Loden gets the impression there that they're really they're after the father because he also assumes that they are kind of tapping into he and indira's communications uh and that they know who is kind of getting who is saving who and it really like just I hadn't really thought of that, of, you know, the reason that they want to keep the Blythes alive here. And Loden thinking that, you know, all right, they're not firing on the ship, so they want, you know, they must want them alive. But also here, they're letting the sun go, but so they don't, they don't care about the sun. They're more interested in the father. Really, it creates this kind of mystery because we have never got that resolution as to why the Blythes are important. Like, even... Ever since the job was pitched to Markion way earlier in the book, we never found out why this family is important. And it, even here, it's still up in the air to us. So I, I really, I, it's subtle, but I like that reminder there from Charles that there may be something about this family that we still don't know yet, but Loden is kind of piecing things together that maybe it's the father here who is special in some way. I just thought it was very interesting that, yeah, they're they're holding their fire, but they're leaving the sun, so it's clearly like they're singling out the dad here, Otto, and how we really haven't found an answer to that yet. I just, I like that little, that question that Charles kind of pokes us with there as, as to why Otto Blythe might have some significance then to the Nihil and all this trouble they're going through for this mission. It's really well set up. Like, I mean, one of the things... One of the joys about having listened through this season of Light of the Jedi is that when I read Light of the Jedi initially last year, like I did it in a kind of whirlwind. Like there was a lot of just like happening 
in the world and life around me. So like particularly like the back half of the book, I kind of just read very quickly, but didn't absorb it super well. So even like whether it was like listening back to earlier episodes or even just reading these chapters, I did have a point when even reading through this, I was like, wait, why do they care about this family? Like even I kind of forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this book is very good at, at answering questions as it goes, but just giving you more it just is constantly feeding you. Like you get answers and then you get more questions. And to pair that with like all the action that's going on too. Um, that's why I initially read it as fast as I did um, when I first got it, because it, it just keeps going. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. But like, this is one of those and I like it a lot. Yeah. I think it's uh, kind of like a Hydra. Like for every question <laughs> that's answered, we have two yes. more that's thrown yes. at us. <laughs> By Charles, uh, you know, uh, that's that's very much how it's felt. You know, for every for every answer we get, there's still more questions being raised in the story about characters, about motivations, and all that. So it's really uh, well put together uh, in that way. As Devore had mentioned earlier, Loden pulls off this this trick, this maneuver to pretty much jettison himself into the open airlock of this Nihil ship. I think he's flying at, you know, a pretty fast clip to avoid getting shot down, obviously. And then he throws himself to a full stop and uses kind of the the momentum from that. I think in, in one fell swoop, it kind of reminded me of Obi-Wan's maneuver in uh, episode three, Revenge of the Sith, when they're land or crash landing really into the hangar and he just like seamlessly jumps out of the cockpit oh, yeah. into action. And how Loden here, he uses the momentum to, in one move, kind of throw himself out of the cockpit. He does open it so it's not through the roof of the cockpit, but he, he in one maneuver, kind of uses that momentum to throw himself through space straight into the airlock or the open airlock. But also, not quite straight into it because he does clip his leg on the hatch, which seems like, oh, just a mere flesh wound, right? Uh, no, at the speed that he's going, uh, he snaps his leg, which, you know, it's kind of a shame. After such a great trick, after a great maneuver, there is, there's always a catch at the end. Like, it, nothing can be purely good or seamless like there's always something that has to go wrong and really when you think about it because they destroy his vector as well we now have autoblythe who is you know we don't know what kind of i mean he got knocked out earlier so he might not be in the best shape and now Loden, who yes is a jedi but also has to deal with a very broken leg now and they are they don't have a good ride out of here so really it was that moment that i really started to question oh so it's not looking too great for our for our great storm is it (laughs) not to get like super deep but i mean they do have to remind us as often as they can that like i was gonna say the jedi are still human not necessarily but jedi are not you know they're not immortal right so they can try their best to be as powerful as they can but stuff still happens legs still break it's not great you know (laughs) I wish it could be, uh, <laughs> oh, no. but we are reminded here that they do have their limits. Like he, he did misjudge the angle, so even Loden does have his flaws. Though I, I do have to, I do respect him even more here. When you know, once he is inside, he's using kind of very instantly, kind of drawing on force, kind of pain management exercises to try to bottle up the quote agony for a bit. So we see that this isn't just like pain; it's it's agony that he has to deal with right now 
but he's still finding a way to bottle that up because he knows that there's still a job that has to be done. And just Loden is one hell of a Jedi. You know, after just reading this and seeing that despite being in literal agony, that he's still able to push on his determination and his resilience are really showing through in this moment. I really think he is very... He's quite an unbelievable character, uh, which I, I can only... My respect just keeps soaring and soaring for Lloyd and Greatstorm. Yeah, I mean, you know, we get the... You know, Charles gives us the fairly gnarly description of, like, what the leg wound is like. That is, like, it's, like, bent out at this, like, awkward angle. And, like, you just, like, think about having to having to go through that. And, yeah, like you said, like, he's still maintaining that focus on the mission and rescuing Otto. And, you know, he does find Otto, thankfully. You know, Otto is still alive. Uh, he does find him amidst the... The wreckage, so to speak, of the the dead Nihil crew. So Indira did, you know, kind of finish the job there. Uh, but that is when, you know, even when he's trying to, you know, think about how he can negotiate with the Nihil, maybe use the mind touch again, like he did with, I think, Dent was the pilot uh, of this ship. Uh, that's when the torpedo kind of breaches the hull. They are kind of uh, exposed to this uh, gas that knocks them out. You know, even Loden, he tries to use the force to kind of hold that back to keep conscious, but it did catch him by surprise too. So again, like there's something that, you know, maybe he did, he, he couldn't have misjudged the situation because I don't know if there's any way you can know that a torpedo full of, you know, toxic gas is going to, you know, breach the hull at any moment. But we see again that even the best of the Jedi can be taken by surprise here. And, you know, the chapter ends with them getting captured, which doesn't seem like too encouraging of a fate. But, you know, I guess they both are alive. But still, with all the tricks that Loden is able to pull out of his tool belt, sometimes the odds just seem a little bit too great. And that's exactly what happened here. Lorna D walked in and pretty much told them the odds and they were not in his favor. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just like, never tell me the answer. But that is how the chapter ends with them getting captured and Loden's luck running out. You know, it's, I do have to be afraid for him, you know, especially in the hands of Lorna D. We know that she is rather ruthless and menacing in her own way. But we do kind of see how this Elfrona plot does come to somewhat of an end here, at least for Loden. Maybe we'll find out what happens with Indira afterwards, but for Loden Greatstorm, it's not looking too good as Chapter 39 comes to a close. But there is a lot that goes on in Chapter 40. I could give my summary for that one, and we can dive right back into the battle in the Kerr Nebula. Let's do it. Do it. As the battle at the Kerr Nebula rages on, Admiral Cronara and Avar Chris try to make sense of the Nihil's new destructive strategy using the battle paths. Avar is able to sense the Nihil's next movements through the Force, and she transmits that knowledge to the remaining Jedi as they fight on against Kasav's fleet. The Jedi are able to adapt accordingly, and the tide begins to turn in their favor. Kasav notices the battle paths are causing as much destruction among their own ranks as they are the Republic's, and Markeon Rowe contacts him, accusing him of killing his father and condemning his Tempest to their doom. The Nihil's battle paths turn against them, and the Iriaduans finally intervene, 
crippling and boarding the new elite and bringing Kasav to justice. A bewildered Admiral Cronara watches on as the last of the Nihil are destroyed, claiming victory for the day. There is a lot that happens in this chapter. There's a lot of jumping around from POV to POV, you know, really kind of piecing together a very complete image of what this fight and struggle is looking like from really all angles, all sides. What did you both think about chapter 40 and, you know, Markion again pulling another horrifying maneuver or trick out of his own belt, of Kasav meeting the Iriaduins finally, but then also how the Jedi and Admiral Cronara are dealing with this, it's just a, a wild, wild situation that's just unfolding in front of their own eyes. Like a, a kind of through line through all three of these chapters, I think to one degree or another is that a lot of what got built up in the earlier chapters of the book is starting to get kind of unwound. So like, we're starting to see like what the goal was, like what's Martian been up to this whole time? Like, why have they been doing this? Like, what's the whole plan been? And I think you're sort of seeing a lot of that here where you're starting to understand like what Martian, like, and you know, he flushes this out more in the next chapter when we'll talk about with 41, about like what his plan has been all this time. Like, how he's been maneuvering all these different players into these positions and why he's been doing it. And so I think I, I like that element that like it starts to make sense. A lot of these different other parts of the book. Yeah. I didn't remember the, the you killed my father part. It's been a while since I read this or at least these chapters and it made me laugh for some reason. I was like, why? I don't know. But <laughs> The thing about the thing about Marcion Rowe is like he reminds me so much of Palpatine in that he has this grand plan that he is just like keeping to himself and is trying to be so calculating about everything that he does and he succeeds in so many ways, but he's so different and just the fact that like you also don't know like how stable he is. And so like he has these plans, but is is he going to follow them and like what's gonna happen along the way and it just, it just made this chapter like a lot, just even crazier than it already was. Just because like, especially with all the points of view, it's just like, you, you really have to like figure out what's going on. And can you? I don't know. You can try. Uh, I will try. Uh, I did try. Uh, it, it's, you know, I, I just, thinking of Anakin, you will try. Uh, <laughs> we, we cannot go down the Revenge of he the Sith rab my rabbit hole again. <laughs> Oh, a no. second podcast. It was right no. there. <laughs> this is why Meg is on to keep uh, us from doing this. Exactly. You finally figured it out. That's why I'm here. <laughs> That's why I'm here. <laughs> All right, Obi-Wan. Ah, no, stop it. Oh. You've done that yourself. Oh, uh, oh what is happening? I need to be stopped. Oh, God. And and that's oh, when I leave. It's been it's been great talking with both of you. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Catch you all next time. <laughs> or not. <laughs> or we're not. <laughs> We've lost all of our listeners overnight. <laughs> What's the situation? <laughs> Jesus. But just as chaotic as that all was, uh what we're dealing with here in chapter 40 is quite chaotic. 
We start off with Admiral Cronara, who is baffled about how these events are unfolding. And it is important to note, and we'll expand on this in a bit, is that the Nihil are doing damage to themselves as they are to the Republic with their collisions too. And Cronara is thinking, quote, the result was utter mayhem, explosive murderous mayhem, which tracks like, yes, that's probably the only way to describe what's going on here. And one of the bridge officers says, you know, hey, it looks like the Nihil are making these micro jumps through hyperspace, maybe like less than a kilometer or around a kilometer of a jump to which Admiral Cronara says, that's not possible, which this is the second time in as many chapters that someone has said that about what the Nihil are doing. And I really had to think, can we just, can we stop saying that and accept that like what they're doing, what you're seeing is actually happening. Like it feels like in a way it's an understandable denial, but I feel like that kind of denial about what they're seeing unfolding in front of them, it can be kind of dangerous if this is the way that they're going to keep approaching it and moving forward. Like, oh, that's that's not like that can't happen. Right. And it's like, no, no this is you're not you're not seeing this wrong. This is exactly what's happening. It felt like kind of a dangerous kind of denial there. You're saying they're in denial. Put <laughs> <laughs> oh why why did that take me so long I, I sat here for a minute and i was like what are you talking about how can i is there a is there a button on zoom to eject I, I someone gonna, from? you know i can just go downstairs and just take care of this for you <laughs> finish the how do what must be done do not hesitate show numbers <laughs> But also, I have to appreciate the pun. You know, I have to. That was well played. I can't. I can't not admit that. I. I've done that myself, and you pointed that out. I think Devor has won the game of life. So, congrats, man. I, I'm just disappointed in myself for not seeing that coming. I should have known. <laughs> How did this happen? You're smarter than this. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Oh, it's uh, just, uh, this is, this is mayhem. Maybe not murderous, but definitely explosive mayhem. Uh I I do think that, like, a lot of, you know, whether Markeon, like, totally planned this or not, a lot of the reason, you know, the Nihil are as fierce as they are and as causing as much destruction as they are is because it is the element of surprise in terms of, like, no one in the galaxy has ever seen this kind of thing happen before. And so, like, all this, like, oh, is this possible? This can't be possible. Well, that's maybe the point. Like, the Nihil are just doing all these things that, like, no one expected, and that's how you get them, you know? You hit them with the old one, too, you know, whether when they're least, least expecting it. You know, it's uh, really the element of surprise and destruction is on their side, but it ultimately turns on them, uh, as, as we will see. But, you know, Devor had, uh, you know, uh, a very punny moment uh, just moments ago and i think charles saw that and decided to to follow in divorce footsteps here because you know as admiral cronara is wondering how they can fight something like this he thinks it was it was quote like battling chaos itself like trying to shoot down a storm as he looks at the camera and- <laughs> yes <laughs> exactly <laughs> I was like, okay, Charles, like, that's that's a little bit, like, that's some sharp cheddar cheese. Like, he didn't hit us with the mild cheddar. He just went straight for the yes. sharp. I was like, that's that's too cheesy, man. It really is. You know, meanwhile, on the Ataraxia, Avar is trying to kind of hone in through the force on the Nihil, trying to pinpoint exactly what's going on, as, as we all are. 
And after a moment, she's, she thinks that the Force does reveal the song of the Nihil to her and how they were flying, how they were fighting at the moment. And I wonder, you know, she's hearing the song of the Nihil. Does she hear the Rec Punk Spotify playlist in her head now? Is that the song of the Nihil that she has now found? She was on shuffle like, no, nah, that's not it. That's not it. Oh, no, here we are. The Rec Punk. Is that what this moment looks like in the song of the Force? It has to be. Yes. Just uh, if there's if there's one image that stood out from this season, it's probably that the force is just uh, Avar's Spotify playlist, and it's all about it's all about finding the right song for the moment. And and now she has found like Five Finger Death Punch or whatever, <laughs> and is now listening to uh, to to the Nihil's playlist. She has found it. It was a public playlist through the network of the force, and she has given it a follow. But she is able to kind of transmit that knowledge of what they're doing where they're appearing to the Jedi and we transition to Elzarman his point of view and how he is now using kind of Avar's force zoom chat to uh, start turning the tide you know he's shooting the Nihil as they appear and he doesn't know exactly what she's doing but quote it almost didn't matter what Avar was doing he just liked having her in his head I was like this is not the time man man like this is not (laughs) this is not the time yeah, he, he's just. Any of this. He, yeah, he he's operating with the wrong organ throughout all of this. <laughs> like, you, you need to be a couple feet north of like where you are. Like, focus, dude. This is a pitched battle, man. Yeah, still. <laughs> he has grown on me since part two of the book, or as as the book has worn on. But uh, moments like this, I'm like, dude, you still ha- you got you to focus up sometimes. Like, you're doing the job here, but there's there's a time and place for everything, and maybe this is not it, man. <laughs> what I love about this moment is that, like, as the High Republic goes on, this just continues. It never changes. He just, he does his best. But, I mean, focus, what? You know, his head's always somewhere else. It's fine. He does all right. Maybe. Some things never change, I guess, as I will... As I will learn. Um, but he does have this kind of revelation here, you know, as he's able to sense the Nihil in all of their rage and fear as he's picking up through the Force. And he's thinking about them like, quote, strange beasts crawling along the very bottom of the Force Sea in which all things swam. And he's thinking that they're actually easy to locate through the Force because of their anger. You know, he's thinking that their anger, they think, gives them strength. You know, in some situations, sure, that could be right, but here, it's making them vulnerable and weak. And I feel, I like that comment a lot. I feel like it can carry over to the understanding of the Sith as well. Like, in in the thing that they think gives them strength, ultimately, it can also be their undoing, their downfall. And, and I, I think we've seen that with Maul. I think he's a prime example of, of that anger kind of, uh, betraying him in the end maybe with Anakin too if we're calling back on Revenge of the Sith again you know that that move at the end you know maybe that's more arrogance than anger but still those that kind of that sphere of emotions it may give them strength in some cases but like Elzar here is pointing out it can also make them easy to target and vulnerable and weak I really I liked that philosophical point there uh, a lot yeah because like you know we think about when you think about the, you know, you draw, you made the comparison about the Sith. And like, if you think about, you know, back to the original trilogy where like, 
you've got the the duality of the dark side where it's like on the one hand like the dark side is powerful and like that's part of its temptation it's it's like it's the thing that like gives you this kind of strength that you might not be able to get elsewhere like whether it is you know keeping yourself alive with like a maul or an anakin or even like a palpatine or you know using something like a forest lightning but then at the end of the day it's like you know it goes back to what what yoda says in empire it's like it's not stronger but quicker easier more seductive it's shown plenty of times in the movies and throughout the larger star wars story but you never really like actually think about how like the dark side can make you more powerful but also at the same time how vulnerable it makes you and so much more so than you know if you're looking towards the light and everything that that gives you if you're focusing so much on the darkness you know you're missing so much else and you really don't think about that and like that that really stood out to me when i was reading this like it's said so beautifully and it you know we've seen it before but like sometimes that repetition in different stories which is one thing i love about you know the star wars universe being so big is that we get these same messages but they're given to us in such different ways and i love that and i love it how it's how we get that here so yeah yeah kind of the same these through lines that just manifest in different ways different forms uh, different stories but it's it's all connected in the end and we switch to Kasav's perspective uh, a few times in this chapter, but here he's unsure really if they're winning anymore. You know, he's seeing the losses that they're taking from these battle paths. And they've also received a few communications from their pilots out there who are both confused and terrified. And it was upon reading that when I got the feeling that Markian knew exactly the costs that these battle paths would bring about and that it was very intentional by him. You know, because uh, on one hand, there was this really rousing speech where the Nihil were buying into it and this vision that Markian is laying out for them and then to leave them in confusion and terror. Like, I don't really feel bad for the Nihil a lot in the book. Maybe not even now, but it's scary nonetheless when when we hear that out there like they're not in control and it's also leading to their deaths which is really causing this this terror in them and you know Loden kind of saw the Nihil as children of the force as well as much as anyone else it's you know it's just their decisions that you know kind of change their paths and distinguish them from someone like a Jedi but at the end of the day they're you know we're we're all people right and and, and here the Nihil too are confused and terrified and dying, you know, out of their own hands. It's not, they, they are out of control right now. It feels intentional by Markion, which makes this moment all the more horrifying, I thought. I, ne- I never, like, actually read it that way until, like, you just said that, and now I'm, like, super sad. Okay. <laughs> so sorry. I mean, hey, it's the High Republic. We're here. This is what we get. I mean, how, how did you read it then? Because maybe, maybe, maybe I'm being too soft. No, like. I just, it's just like, it's one of those things that like so much was going on in this chapter. And like, I read that and I got it. But like, just like really focusing in on like, oh, like they just followed his orders into this and just didn't know what they were actually doing. And then, you know, they just, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot of emotion. I mean... I do have to wonder, like, in this moment, and I think it, it repeats again later on when Avar is thinking of the Nihil, like, you know, quote, small wild creatures trapped in a cage desperate to escape. 
should we in some way feel bad for the Nihil right now? Like for these pilots, maybe not as an organization, but for the individual, should we in some way feel bad? Or is it kind of, or are they getting their comeuppance? Is it kind of in between? Is it just this, this gray area? Like, I, I don't know when I'm reading this. It's, it's hard to read because they are trying to get out of this, but they can't and they're dying. But it's really, it's, it's tough. I don't think I have an answer. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Do, do we feel bad for them? I mean, I, on some level, like it's, it, as you said, it's very hard to because like there is a kind of like fuck around and find out like quality. And it's like they're now finding <laughs> out like, you know, like that's what's happening right now. Shifor <laughs> <laughs> just hit them with the fuck around and find out cards. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> Good job. You broke Andrew. Happy? <laughs> I'm broken. That was great. That was great. Uh, so, like on on that level, like you, like you really can't because like they sort of knew like who they were in league with and so on. Like, it's it's not like they had particularly honorable you know goals and what they were doing. So like there there's all that. But then at the same time, it's like yeah, there is something about that, as you put it. Like there is something about that, just that like that loss of control. Or, like, lots of time, the fact that, like, they've lost control of their ships. Like, they can't, you know, use that. You quoted that part from Avar about where she describes them as animals in cages trying to get out. Like, there's something about that that is just kind of viscerally unsettling, no matter, like, how bad the person is to whom it's happening. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you can be part of the Nihil and, like, commit to, I will go into battle and die for you and whatever pledges they might make or whatever promises they might make. But once you're actually in it and you realize like, oh, this battle is so much worse than I could have ever imagined. Like you almost can't fault them for that because like, how can you predict what it's really going to be like until you're actually in it? I mean, which is, which is the chance that you're taking and the sacrifice that you're making. But I do kind of feel bad because like they, they could have thought they knew what they were getting into, but they might not have at the same time. I mean, if, if the Nile have never, gone into battle in this particular way before against the Jedi, then they might not have known. And that and that is terrifying and sad and not fair. But also there is the other side of you signed up for this. So mm. you're right. Cause like just in the other chapter, they were, you know, faking escape pods that were actually rigged with explosives, you know, kind of, you know, landing on top of ships and kind of doing high intensity burns right into the bridge viewports. Like they've done some despicable things throughout the book. And I think it's just Charles leaves us with maybe an unanswerable question here as to how maybe we're supposed to, I mean, and maybe there is an answer, maybe that we are not supposed to feel for them in this moment, but I don't think it makes this any easier to read is in their last moments they are kind of reduced to just kind of these caged animals in fear like uh, are being compared in that way and uh, you know i think admiral cronara makes the same sort of comparison he he felt bad about saying it or thinking it but it was he still likened them to that kind of image and it's, it's just not an easy read here and you know, I, I think, uh, you know, Meg, you had touched on Markion's, uh, I think you both, you both touched on Markion's mach- machinations kind of coming to some sort of fruition here where he does call Kasav 
and pretty much, you know, he, he does kind of uh, pull the Inigo Montoya, like you killed my father, <laughs> yes. prepare to die on him. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he thanks him and his Tempest for their sacrifice. And it's really at that moment that we know that they're all in trouble. And what happens is that after he cuts the transmission, instead of doing these micro jumps through hyperspace around the battlefield, the Nihil ships start jumping into Republic ships, purposefully colliding with them uh, rather than just by happenstance. And that's really horrifying just from, like, again, if you're a Nihil, like, what do you feel like in that moment? You know, just one second you're there, one second you're dead, you know, just uh, jumping into these ships. And we get some kind of payoff here, which I think we can feel somewhat good about when the Iriaduan fleet decide to make their move. They ask Cronara for permission, you know, you can kind of deal with the rest. Can we take their flagship here, the new elite? And as soon as they get permission, they start kind of going in for the kill, swarming the flagship. They're disabling shields, weapons. They're essentially making it useless. And then they get ready to board here. And Kasav is realizing and as he's watching his forces get obliterated, that Marcion had won. You know, that by relying on the paths, again, the very thing that made them strong, it's also made them weak and vulnerable here, where Marcion was actually in control the whole time. And he's coming to this realization here that the very thing that, give, that had given them their strength and set them apart from literally any other group of marauders was now giving Marcion power and leverage over them, basically dictating the game using the very thing that set them apart in the first place. It, it was a kind of a stunning revelation here for Kasav, for his character, uh, but it kind of all falls together in his last moments here before he does meet the Maker in the form of Governor Veen. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, going back to something I said earlier in the episode about stuff that I'd forgotten from the first time that I read the book. It's like, yeah, like I had forgotten about just the, the, the cold, like justice meted out upon Kassab by the Ariadans. And she was like, Hey, like, let's make a deal. And just like, bam. I mean, as they are described, I think even the Ariadan commandos and Veen herself are described as blade-like, you know, kind of just thin blade-like people. They're in battle armor. She's got blood splattered on her. She doesn't care. She's just this cold-hearted, you know, Tarkin-esque just uh, killer. And this was a moment that I was torn. I didn't think that I would be torn in this moment between outcomes of what I wanted to happen here. Ever since Kasav kind of wreaked havoc in the Iriadu system, literally billions of people died because of him. Still, in this moment, the reader is left with a what if. And I think it's a very I think it's gonna be a very consequential what if from from my perspective, from my naive perspective here, where Vien does shoot him. Iriadu gets its vengeance on Kasav. We, you know, I think this is the reader. We're like, hell yeah, he, he got his comeuppance. He deserved it, right? But in the moment before he died, he was willing to tell them everything he knew about the Nihil, about Markion Roe, about the paths. He was going to talk, and then he died. And so I'm thrilled that they got their revenge, but also... 
What if he had lived to tell the tale and give the Republic this advantage then, telling them exactly who and what they're up against? It's kind of a bittersweet moment here where, yeah, he he died, hell yeah, but at what cost? I was not expecting to be torn like that, but we are left with that what if he had lived to tell the tale, and we're never going to know. I mean, you're going to hate my response to this, but... <laughs> Hypothetically, if he had told them everything he knew, then there'd be fewer High Republic books, and that just, you know, would not be great for anyone. So, whose side are you on? I'm sorry, I told you, I told you it was not going to make you happy with me. I'm going to hit the eject button for you now. Oh, yeah, here I go. Devor, Devor, are you siding with Meg here? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good question to think about. Like, on some level, you know, particularly, you know, after you read the chapter that comes afterward, like, you do have a wonder, like, how much could have Kasav given them? Like, how much insight would he have had? Because as we learn in the subsequent chapter, like, even those very close to Martian don't really have a super great idea of what his end game is. So, yeah, on the one hand, you know, he may have been able to give them insight about, like, okay, here's the structure of the Nile, here's where they operate out of some of that logistical stuff, which admittedly would have been useful for the Republic. Like, There's a question about like the grand plan is probably Martians and Martians alone. Only he knows the whole map. I mean, he would also have been able to tell them about the paths because yeah. they, even to this chapter, the start of this chapter, they're still wondering... You know, this isn't possible. Like, how are they doing this? So I think, Markian aside, I think the paths there are really the key that they're going to miss out on. And it's really, yeah, it's it's a bittersweet moment. But I guess now Meg is right that we do get more higher public content. But I think, Devor, you make a good point there that, yeah, even, and, and we'll talk about this more in chapter 41, that even those closest to him really have no idea who they're dealing with or kind of what they're dealing with here. But, you know, the the chapter itself does end here with Admiral Cronara thinking, all right, the last of them are gone. We we defeated the Nihil. The Nihil threat is over. And I remember there was a time earlier in the season where DeVore uh, quote-tweeted me, kind of saying something along the lines of, oh, buddy, you have no idea. <laughs> and that was me kind of quote-tweeting Admiral Cronara here, like, oh, buddy, you, you really have no idea here. <laughs> It was kind of satisfying for me. There is someone who knows less than I do. So. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I'll take the victories. I, I can claim victory for the day as well. So you're not alone, Admiral Cronara. I'm also winning out here. Uh, <laughs> but there's a lot to talk about in Chapter 41. We do get some really important scenes between Markian and Lorna D. So I'll give my summary for Chapter 41. And then we can talk about that one. All right. Do it. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) I see you. I see you. (laughs) Aboard Markeon Rose flagship, the gaze electric, Lorna D hands over her unconscious prisoners and Loden's lightsaber to the eye of the Nihil. Markeon wields the Jedi's golden blade, and Lorna notices a different air around him. Where once stood someone subservient to the Tempest Runners, now stands a man brimming with confidence, authority, and menace. Lorna pieces together Markion's plans to send Kasav and his Tempest to their death, and how he condemned her and her Tempest to failure at the 40th Emergence too. 
She recognizes Markion is in control and always has been ever since joining the Nihil. Despite Lorna's fresh sense of fear, Markion decides to keep her around, hinting that he has plans for her in the future. The Eye reveals he never needed the Blythes from the Elfrona mission, dispatching Otto and pointing to Loden as his prize. I'm going to hand it over to editing Andrew to include a clip of a moment earlier in the season when I said something to the effect of, uh, yeah, Markan's not as bad as the Tempest Runners, right? <laughs> so I'll just let that clip play oh, no. right here. Here we see how Markion continues to be different from the Tempest Runners and maybe from the Nihil as a whole. It seems that, you know, he's not about the bloodthirst and it was just a very interesting note that he's just he's not about that yeah uh so i was wrong <laughs> if it's any consolation we all knew you were wrong so i don't know that's that's supposed to make me feel better man <laughs> no absolutely not you both can gloat i can give you a minute to gloat if you would so like but <laughs> i admit that i totally misread marky on row and uh yeah uh i was not ready for that to happen I mean, half the fun of, you know, watching this season of the show unfold is just seeing how much you don't know about anything and just waiting for you to make discovery after discovery and trying as hard as we can to not say anything. Andrew Geha, the Dinjarin of the High Republic. Like, <laughs> it doesn't know what's happening. <laughs> Has no clue. Is that a bench? Is Are you Jedi? Is this Jedi? <laughs> Is this man evil? <laughs> Are you bad? <laughs> you seem peaceful compared to them, right? Like, no, nope. Uh, we'll talk about this more when it happens, but there have been moments where I have literally set the book down and had to collect myself, and how the chapter ends is very much one of those moments. Before we talk about exactly how the chapter ended in all of its wildness uh, and proving me wrong in my shoes, what did you both think about chapter 41 and really a massive turn of events in its own way, but also a really terrifying view of Markeon Rowe that we have witnessed to through the eyes of Lorna D. There's kind of two really interesting things about, like two kind of really interesting insights that we get about Marcion, I think, in this chapter, I think that comes really through. On the one hand, there's a little bit of a deepening of the mystery around him. Like, cause we like one of the things that we find out around this chapter is that he knows what a lightsaber is and how to use one because it's like, he like Lorna has it. And then she gives it to him and she's like, like, Oh, like, are you going to hurt yourself? I can use it. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. And he just turns it on and starts waving it around. So then there's that element of like, Oh, he knows what a lightsaber is and he knows how to wield it. So immediately there, you start even the question like, okay, he, okay. This guy has a history with the Jedi. He has some knowledge of their, ways their practices like he's familiar with them so immediately you're like okay like, what's the deal here there's a little bit of that and then there's the further fleshing out or unfolding of just his, as you were talking about like his character like i mean earlier you know meg was talking about the comparison to palpatine and i think like that's very apt in terms of the kind of calculating manipulating kind of moving everybody into place i think there's also there's a, i think a very strong element of like the Joker and the Dark Knight, because there, there's the whole like two sides where 
he acts like, you know, like, do I really look like a guy with a plan? But at the same time, it's like, oh, but he actually has a plan the whole time. Or, like, I even think about, like, when Lorna D has the line where she talks about, like, you just destroyed, like, a third of your organization. Like, I think about the, like, I'm only burning my half when he throws the cigar at the pile of cash. Like, there, like there, there's those elements of, like, he outwardly presents himself as chaotic, you know, like, nobody knows what he's going to do next. He's coming up with everything at the at you know, at that moment, the dog chasing the car, just the, the analogy that Joker uses in the movie. But actually, there is a whole plan. There is a whole scheme. And you're seeing him here kind of walking Lorna through it all. I have to ask, do you think that lightsaber will make a fine addition to his collection? That asks another question in of itself. Does he have a collection? Does he have a collection? <laughs> yes. Now, if... He had opened like his robe and set it with like four other lightsabers. <laughs> I'd be like, "This is what grieve. This is who Grievous was. This is Grievous pre cyborg. Yes. Like this is him. This is why Devor is <laughs> like on the Markion train." <laughs> I love this chapter. I-, I love a good like villain finally revealing the plan, but like in a terrifying, terrifying way. You know, I lo- I also love that we're seeing it through Lorna D because. She's someone who wants to know what's going on, but she has no idea. She's just like the rest of them. They're just all clueless because that's the way he wants it to be. And I I think that's just a good way to frame it as like, no one really knows what's going on. And that's why we should be very afraid. I mean, I I like that, uh, your point there, you know, kind of valuing how we are seeing this through Lorna's eyes. You know, I, today... Uh, as of recording today, I finished the uh, Thrawn Ascendancy trilogy, and one of the most fascinating parts of that trilogy is that, unlike the first canon trilogy, Thrawn was not a POV character at all in any three of the books, which was very fascinating here, and I think it's kind of likened here where it is almost even more interesting when we see a plan play out through someone who is witness to it and not the person who devised it themselves. It's a really fascinating way of writing a story and writing a chapter. I, I don't think that uh, Thrawn at all is as uh, malicious as uh, Markeon Rowe, um, but uh, just that style, that structure of putting that together where Lorna is putting the pieces together and, and seeing seeing it unfold, you know, in, in some ways, Markion does tell her, like, yeah, this is, this is why I did it. But we also see Lorna herself, like, hang on, you sent Kasav to his death. You knew exactly what was going to happen, but also you gave me away too. And so it was like, kind of like a give and take between Markion and Lorna, but... Devor, you had mentioned Markion here wielding the lightsaber as if it's no one's business. First of all, I guess, when he does take the lightsaber from her, he taps it against, like, kind of the eye in the center of his mask. Just, like, tap, tap, tap. And I was thinking, how hilarious would it be? Like, just as Meg was saying, this is why we get more High Republic, because, you know, (laughs) because Markion lives to tell the tale. Like, how hilarious would it have been if... Lord is like, it's gonna, like, aren't you afraid? And he's like, no, it's not. And then it does. And it just... <laughs> you know, I knew that there was like a, a 0.0001 chance that it would actually happen, but there was some hope there, like some like a sliver of hope left in me. And I was like, what if? Just what if it activated and he died? 
mean, would it be out of Charles's wheelhouse to take a character from us just just like that? Like, I don't think no. so. But I I need to know if there is some draft somewhere out there where that actually happens. <laughs> I need the fanfic writers to get on this right now. Uh, maybe in the first draft. And, and they were like, no, nah, no, nah, we, we kind of want him to stick around. It's like, okay, fine, guys. Yeah, fine. yeah, sorry. You can't kill off the main villain of this whole thing in the first book. It's like, but Snoke and Last Jedi, like, what, it, it could, there's still avenues. Like, no, no, we need him. Uh, but. We, we are left with a question here, and I was left with a very glaring question, because like Devor, you said he is swinging this lightsaber around, activating it, and using it in a manner in which we're kind of left to assume that he knows, I mean, obviously he knows what it is, but he also knows to some extent how to use it, how to wield it. And I was thinking, aren't these... And this is, you know, me like not in story, but, you know, me as just a Star Wars fan, aren't these supposed to be very difficult for a non-Force user to wield? So it's either I'm remembering incorrectly and that's not the case, or there's more to Markion than meets the eye. And that is a very intentional eye of the Nihil pun. Um, but I mean, we are left with Devor, like you said, this possibility that there is more about the Jedi that he knows and maybe also has experienced with just the ease that he's swinging this lightsaber around. It, it is very threatening to Lorna, but also we're seeing Markion kind of use it as if he's very familiar with this, you know, mythical weapon of the Jedi. Yeah, I mean, it leaves us with those questions. And I mean, even, you know, you sort of talked about at the, you know, at the end of the chapter, when he reveals the whole Elfrona plot, like what that all was about. And I'm like, well, why did you send us to the family? Like, well, I wasn't the family. Like I wanted the Jedi. And so the question is like, you're left with the question like, okay, well, why does he want the Jedi? Like, why does he need a living Jedi? What's like, what does this nominally non-force user, as far as we know, want with a Jedi master? I mean, I guess we'll find out. I'm afraid for Loden. But, you know, there is, you know, we knew that he had some knowledge of the Jedi Order and their structure, but also now he might have very personal experience with them as well. And, and maybe we'll find that out uh, as we move through the High Republic or as I move through the High Republic. But, but Meg, you had mentioned in the previous chapter kind of like how the Nihil might not have known, in, in a way they knew what they were signing up for, but in a way they also might not have known exactly what they were getting into with like, let's say the battle paths. You know, there's still some element of, you know, they, they don't see all the cards on the table. And here I think we see that's exactly the case because as Lorna is observing Markion, she does notice this different air around him. And she notices that he is, quote, confident in some new and deeply unsettling way. And that she realizes that from the start, they had all judged him wrong. Where this isn't a new Markion, but it's who he's been this whole time and they've never seen it. So I think that does kind of hearken to your point where the Nihil, you know, even those close to him never saw him for who he really was and never really knew what they were getting into from the moment he joined the organization. And that really becomes clear to Lorna in this moment when he's when she is witnessing him wield this lightsaber. Yeah, and that really speaks to, you know, how calculated his manipulation is and how it, how it has been this whole time because 
you know, he has to create this persona that makes them think, oh, this is this is what we're signing up for and this is what we're getting into and this is who we're following. But it turns out at the end that that none of that was actually the case. And that just and I think it's part of that is also his way of like showing her, like, are you willing to follow me now that you've seen what I've created and then what I actually am, which is terrifying. In a way, like he does pose the question, like, are you willing to? But also there's only one answer to it. Like she has to because she, like Mark Yon is kind of laying out for her, she doesn't have many other options. Like he sent her kind of to her own sort of doom at the 40th emergence. Like he had given the Republic through his spy the information as to where the flight recorder would be. And so either, you know, she can run, but the Republic already have a read on her. So really there's only like, you know, she, what did Thanos say? Like she, you know, she couldn't live with her failure. And where did that bring Lorna (laughs) Deal? Right back to Markeon. And that's where he's kind of got her on the end of this string. Like he's had them all on a string, but it really becomes apparent to Lorna now where there's only one answer to the question of, you know, is she willing to stay? And he's, he's given her the answer for herself. Yeah, he even has that moment where he's like, oh, the, the ship you named after yourself would be a shame if something happened to it. Like, it's great. I mean, like, just as much as we see, like, a Palpatine-esque, like, you know, kind of string pulling, we also see that he can really just, like, toy with them, you know, just kind of, like, dig where it hurts. And, you know, I mean, it hurts her pride, obviously, like, and he knows it. And I think she notes that, you know, even though she can't see his face, beneath the mask she bets that he's smiling when he says that like Mm -hmm. the different faces of Markeon like through this book you know especially in the moment where you know he kind of subdued Kasav in the first place and was really giving them and a a one answer question you know where it's like are you with me are you with me and then here it's like the same thing you know are you gonna run or stay and really you can only stay the many faces to Markion in his plans unfolding have really had been fascinating to see but also very horrifying here because even Lorna at one point questions inwardly Markion's sanity it's it's just witnessing what he is doing and what he is about it's impossible for her to really read or even know if if he's all there but it just there's this element of unpredictability and therefore kind of a terrifying nature to Markion that really the Republic might not be ready to deal with but also the Nihil themselves just are not ready to deal with themselves they're just not at his level and as the plans were laid out to her laid bare as as her fate was laid bare to her she starts questioning okay like you know you sent my entire tempest to elfrona for this family you know you don't have to tell me why you know i don't care as long as my tempest gets some of the proceeds right and then markion says quote this guy looking down at otto blythe He pulled the lightsaber from his belt again, igniting it and bringing it down in the same motion, a golden slash right across the man, dead in an instant cut apart. I I have no words. Uh, I think the fact that Otto was not even conscious 
makes that even worse for me. I think it takes a special kind of monster to do that, to kill a man in cold blood, but also when he was unconscious too. It was really this moment, and Lorna thinks the same thing, the same kind of revulsion and horror at this moment where he kills Otto on the spot without a question, you know, without another word. I I don't have any words. Yeah, I mean, he he could have very easily just, like, answered her question with words and not done that. But, I mean, he's just, he's that kind of person. The revelation that we get there where it's like, oh, he wasn't after this family because they were important in any way that he sent, he, he sent the Nile after the family because he knew there was a Jedi outpost there and that would draw the Jedi in. Like, I mean, I, I was rereading it and I was, th- it brought me back immediately because, you know, at the time that this is coming out, you know, it's been a few weeks out from the teaser trailer for Kenobi. And I think about that whole little soliloquy in there from the Grand Inquisitor about like their compassion leaves a trail and like, like you can use the good deeds of the Jedi. Like you can use their desire to, to help people to do good as a way to draw them out. And that's exactly what it turns out Martian was doing here. That's really good connection and, and parallel there where it's kind of that that truth about the Jedi kind of persists, you know, from the High Republic through the prequels. You know, they are maybe much more flawed by the era of the Clone Wars and, and after that, but that truth does still hold fast across time. Is that they, you know, in a way, they're kind of predictable, that they will kind of go the extra mile to save people. And we're seeing here that it comes at the cost here, uh, that the Blythes really meant nothing to Markeon, to the Nihil. Uh, and like you said, he had sent them there knowing that he could very likely get a Jedi captive, and that's exactly what happens here. You know, Lorna is thinking about, you know, as Markian is, is kind of pointing to Loden, how she had heard many stories about the Jedi, but now she can confirm that one story was not true, that they could not, in fact, shoot laser beams from their eyes. Uh, <laughs> it's like, how hilarious is that? That's actually one of the stories that was going around about the Jedi, that they were just like, oh yeah, remember like Cyclops from the X-Men or like Superman? Yeah, those are the Jedi. They can shoot laser beams from their eyes. That's just that's a very kind of uh, <laughs> comical story about them to hear this legitimately some, something that people think about these space wizards. <laughs> Jedi with freaking laser beams attached to their heads. <laughs> you had to. <laughs> I had to. I had to. You're on a roll and you have to be stopped. <laughs> I'll take care of it. <laughs> Do what must be done. But uh, I guess the you know what what has been a terrifying chapter about Markion and the truth that we learn about him, who we see him to be from Lorna's perspective. It ends still on a horrifying note where he has both a Jedi captive as well as a lightsaber. So I'm not sure what he's going to do with Loden, but uh, it can't be good. And that is how this chapter and this episode ends. Devor and Meg, how are you both feeling after uh, after all of this? How are you feeling? I, I, there are a lot of villains in Star Wars, you know, and Markeon Rowe is just, I, I'm hesitating because there are two different ways to say his name and I can't remember which one's the right one. I always say the different one. Um, he's such a terrifying villain and like I forget that 
until like I read scenes with him and I'm like, oh, right, this dude is terrible and I don't like him, but also he's awesome and I, I want to see what else he's going to do because it's, it's terrifying, but also great. Terrible, but great, just like Ollivander said about Voldemort. Uh, you know, same thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, God. Oh, God. All the references. Oh, so many. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, with these chapters is, you know, we see so much of the story of the book kind of coming to fruition. We see at least what the end game for for this part of Martian's plan was. That, you know, him starting to whittle away at the Niles structure we kind of get a little bit of that hinting where you know when he's talking to kasav when he's when he's telling that he's going to kill him and he's like well i'll get to lorna next and so you're getting this idea like okay he's he's slowly chipping away at this whole structure that existed and he's this is one step towards consolidating power in himself and between both 40 and 41 you see the lengths that he's willing to go to to do that. I mean, really, I, I don't think it can be understated that he, like Lorna accused him, sent a third of his organization off to their deaths to yeah, prove a point, <laughs> but to also, in the end, it also did serve a purpose where, uh, you know, he predicted correctly that the Republic now think that the Nihil are gone, that the threat is over. At least Admiral Cronara thinks that. So it seems that he planned out everything to perfection the pieces moved exactly where he wanted them to go and uh, it's a very scary image that we're left with going into the final chapters of the book but devore meg thank you both for coming on the show talking about some light of the jedi especially as the story does come to a close or beginning to come to a close if the listeners wanted to hear more of your voices your work online where could they do so? Could you talk a little bit about what you do and where the listeners could find your work? Yeah. So as you mentioned at the start of the show, I host a Star Wars podcast called The Larger View of the Force, which is it's a show that's really all about the many, many connections we can make to the Star Wars universe, both within and outside it, to our own world and such. And you can find the show pretty much wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to this, odds are you can also listen to my show and you can also follow the show on Twitter at a larger view pod. If you want to keep listening to me talk about books and other Star Wars things, um, I am part of the followers of the force podcast. Um, there may be more podcast things in my future. We will see. I will let you know if you want to know about that. And all my other things, and listen to me tweet endlessly about, I don't know, the Darksaber, maybe. Uh, follow me at MagDowell. I also have um, a link tree link thing where you can find all my other things. If you're on Instagram, Star Wars Book Reviews, where I review, recommend, and just take lots of pictures of books if you like that sort of thing. Which we're banking on the listeners liking that sort of thing, since this is in itself a book podcast. Yes. <laughs> Listeners, I will post links in the episode description to Meg and DeVore's works. Thank you both so much for coming on again. This was really a blast, uh, a wonderful, uh, chaotic blast. Thank you both so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Before we close out today, our last Search Your Readings Live of the season will be around a month from now on April 21st. 
It's been a long season with a lot that's happened, so start sending me any questions or comments on Light of the Jedi and the High Republic. You can send them to me on social media or by email at outerrimreadspod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media and stay connected to the show, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash outerrimreads. Outer Rim Reads is created, hosted, and produced by Andrew Geha and is edited by Connor Floyd. We'll be back in two weeks with episode 56, the season three finale. So until then, sit back and enjoy. I kind of like this lightsaber here. I think, yeah, I think I'm going to keep it. <laughs>